Hey, hello world. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be watching or listening. Welcome to the Erasing Shame podcast, our pilot episode. My name is DJ Chuang, and I'm joined with my co-host, Eunice Lee. And we are here to have honest talk for healthy living. This is our pilot episode, so it's going to be the first time that we've ever gone on the air. And we are looking forward to a full season of conversations uh, about this topic of shame. So why is it that we're talking about shame and uh, what is shame? So I'm going to ask for some help from Eunice and uh, help. Oh, hi, DJ. Um, the last part cut out for a second. Um, can you hear me? Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, you're back. Okay, great. Um, yeah, thank you so much for asking me to co-host with you on this podcast. Um, I love the idea of erasing shame. And um, I was just thinking about this today about how everybody experiences shame. In the context we're talking about it, a lot of it is erasing shame in the Asian American community. But I think that overall, everybody experiences guilt and shame. And they say guilt is something that you feel when you do something wrong. And shame is something you feel when you feel like you are wrong. And I also believe that there's an extra layer that comes on um, when you come from a collectivist environment. Um, for example, coming from Asian American family. It's that we also desire to save face for our families and absorb the shame of those around us. Um, mm. So, for example... Um, even when we go back to our countries of origin and especially for women, our relatives are telling us we need to lose weight and things like that. We don't ever want to say anything back because if we do, it would shame both of us. Um, so I think shame is a huge issue in the Asian American community. And I think a big part of it is because we desire oneness and harmony. Um, but then mm -hmm. in the midst of that, when shame comes into the picture, because shame is kind of the, the flip side of oneness and harmony, it can be, too heavy for us to carry the weight and the burden ourselves. Yeah. DJ, tell me a little bit about um, why you decided to choose the name Erasing Shame. Hey, I'm glad we're doing a pilot episode because uh, we're discovering uh, something with the bandwidth it's on your side buying or on my side, that's kind of choppy off. So we'll see how this, if it doesn't be crisp, we'll need to find another platform. But um, the topic's been on my uh, mind and heart for at least five years, and it's affected me pretty much all of my life because I grew up in a traditional Chinese family, and shame was very much a, a part of how we related to people who are not our family, as well as people in our family. And uh, in Chinese, uh, the term that, the literal word they used was losing face. And so it was uh, very much repeatedly told us by my dad and my mom to not lose face, whether it was the things that we did or the reputation that we brought our family, meaning that uh, you don't wanna bring a negative uh, reputation to the family. And then more recently, uh, Brene Brown has really popularized the topic of shame in American culture and 
the world as well through the TED talk that she's given about shame. And so the basic contrast that Western culture uses is that uh, guilt is something that you did wrong and then shame is something wrong with you. But I think shame is so much more than just that because it involves a community of people and affects us emotionally, relationally, personally, and mentally. And so we'll cover all those uh, different aspects uh, over the course of the season. And I'm really looking forward to have that conversation with you. And we'll invite some others from our Facebook community, as well as YouTube and our listening audience on, on podcast. Great. Um, yeah, I just realized as you're talking, I should probably introduce who I am because you mentioned your background. Um, so I am, um, I came from a little bit of a different background. I'm from a Korean American family. Um, I'm originally from the East Coast where there was a large group of Korean Americans and all, all in one tight-knit community. Um, so this is something that's a topic that's been really close to my heart um, because I see it so much in our community. Um, and I'm also, um, vocation-wise, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. So I work primarily with Asian American young adults and it's such a barrier to emotional, relational, and even mental freedom. This idea of shame really keeps us in the dark. Yeah, um, uh, go a little deeper with that. How does it impact uh, people personally and relationally? Yeah, well, I think that there's, um, in order for, it really stunts our emotional exploration because I noticed with um, Asian Americans, a lot of times it's really hard for them to name a feeling and part of the reason that they can't, it's hard for them to name a feeling. I actually always look, think back to that feelings chart, you know, where they have all the emotions. Mm -hmm. And I think for um, the Asian Americans, I see it's really hard for them to pinpoint what they're feeling, except for guilty or frustrated. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I relate to that as well. I think that there's, um, there's a part of me that never felt like I was allowed to feel those things. The problem is that when we don't, we don't allow ourselves to feel those. We can't name those things. We can't feel them. And if we aren't able to name or feel them, we can't have a deeper emotional experience of them. Um, and so we have to go through life without really feeling anything. And it can get mm. in the way of our relationships because it keeps us isolated. And it can get in the way of mm. our mental health because it keeps us from reaching out. And I think that also when we um, have a lot built inside of us, we start to leak out. Um, in every other way. So from denial or anger, self-harm, having no boundaries or isolating ourselves relationally, there's something, I think, something in us emotionally that needs to be let out. And I think mm -hmm. shame can prevent us from going through the front door and um, being able to speak out what's true of us. And it causes us to kind of have symptoms everywhere else. Yeah, as I was preparing for this um podcast, I was just thinking about shame and why it's so hard to talk about, because uh, shame grows in silence and darkness. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, I found that to be part of why it was hard to define and to understand. And so I'm, I'm hoping that uh, through our conversation and as we bring in some uh, others who have studied this can uh, help really help us unpack this and uh, our listeners and uh, viewers will also move towards healthy living um, in all aspects of, the, of their life. Um, uh, speak a little bit about how shame uh, then hurts us um, 
Yeah. How does it keep us from being healthy and keep us from being uh, growing in uh, our maturity? Yeah. Well, I think um, in order for us to grow, I think that we need uh, a loving and accepting community of people that see see us and can reflect us back, back to us. Hmm. And I think that in shame culture, I think there's so many good things about Asian American and collectivist cultures where there's a lot of support and there's a lot of love, um, but sometimes what's the piece that's missing is feel, feeling fully known. Because mm-hmm. when we are ashamed, we put out into the world that we're this perfect person. And um, that's the only thing that we're able to be seen for. Mm. And so it really only allows us to be developed emotionally in the parts of us that are good enough. Um, mm. So, I mean, I know, I know for myself growing up, you know, in this, in the tight knit Korean American community on the East coast, that there was a lot of awareness of whose child was successful and whose child was not. And it was such a big part of that family's identity that it was mm-hmm. really hard to um, really just kind of move through life. And so I noticed as I got older that um, even for myself, I felt like I could never move. I could never actually explore or be or make mistakes hmm. because I had and because I was afraid of, of um, shaming my family. Mm-hmm. And that kept me from experiences that would have really helped me grow as an individual. It kept me from exploring aspects of my personality that um, that I had to do later as a young adult when I was transitioning um, post-college because I didn't know how to do that because I was so afraid of shame. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that can definitely keep us from from real growth. Um, yeah, from, from being healthy. Yeah, it just, came, it just oh, came in mind that uh, it sounds like... Uh, well, for me, it, 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 I've felt shame in the sense of being paralyzed, mm-hmm. that I was afraid to do uh, a lot of things in my life in terms of exploring or uh, growing or trying new things because I was afraid. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I didn't know how to do something, I would I would just freeze. So mm-hmm. rather than fight or flight, for my natural reaction is to freeze. And so... Uh, I I grew up in a traditional Chinese family when I was um, when I was eight. I was born in Taiwan, and when I was eight, I came to the United States. And one of the stories that my mom has told me is that when I was young, I would be afraid to even go on a swing mm. because it, it was motion that I didn't know what would happen. Mm-hmm. So I would freeze. And the other part of it was I was afraid to fail or mm-hmm. to fall. Mm-hmm. Because failure would just hurt so much, not just emotionally, but this aspect of shame yeah. uh, made me feel like, oh, uh, other people were going to say bad things about me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't handle that. Yeah. Um, oh, totally. And um, another incident I just remembered uh, as, as we're talking about this is uh, I didn't learn to swim until I was 35 mm. because I was afraid of the water. And there's other people that are afraid of water, but uh, one aspect of it for me was because of the shame that uh, since I didn't know how to swim, uh, I didn't want to look foolish by oh. trying to learn how to swim. And so I just hid that part of my life. And then uh, one of the other things that I've uh, also heard uh, this past uh, visit with my family, uh, they live in Rockville, Maryland, and uh, and 
we went to a seminar and they talked about how uh, even valedictorians and people that are very accomplished in high school, when they go to college, they're no longer top of the class. They're just one of every one of many mm -hmm. in a competitive environment like a school in the Ivy Leagues like Harvard, Yale. And a number of Asian Americans will do self-harm in, in the worst of ways because of the shame of no longer being able to uh, hold that position of being the perfect student. And it's just so sad. It's so painful. Yeah, definitely. I think um, that, well, I'm, I'm actually curious, what was it like then to learn how to swim for the first time? <laughs> um, I, I went to a shallow pool and I said, okay, I'm just going to hold my breath and see how long I could keep my head underwater. Mm -hmm. And then if I had any sense of panic or didn't know what to do, I could always stand up. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what we're doing today with the pilot episode, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's a good analogy, yes. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, you know, it's so funny, as even as you're describing kind of growing up, um, I just had this, this memory of when I was um, in elementary school. And it's funny, even the way that my parents taught me to study and taught me in Korea, it's you memorize everything and you're really good and the mm. teachers will like you. I mm -hmm. went to a very uh, majority culture school in the suburbs and um, like 50% of our grade, I remember in sixth grade was participation, which mm -hmm. is great if you are a, a rambunctious kid from a, a you know middle-class majority culture family. But I was just trying to say the right thing all the time. And so as soon as I'd have a thought, it would just kind of, I'd just be like, oh no, that's dumb. And then I would raise my hand and I'd put my hand up. And eventually my mom got called into the teachers because they said that I was I was getting a C in the class for not participating. Wow. And I was like, but this is everything, this is different than what I've been taught at home. You're taught to kind of color in the lines at home and then you're go to, you go to school and they teach you to be creative and unique. And it's such a, it's such a weird clash to come from uh, an Eastern background and then go into the majority culture. So. Yeah, and it doesn't just affect our Asian American living as mm -hmm. children in school. It carries over into college and into our career and, and work life. Yeah. The common perception is Asian Americans don't speak up enough and, and share their ideas or their um, concerns in the workplace for, um, for not wanting to dishonor the mm -hmm. uh, boss or the colleague. And so um, there's a tendency for Asian Americans not to rise in the ranks of corporate leadership. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I could see why I could see why they would be afraid. I think even now as an adult, I feel that um, before I speak up that kind of hesitation and it, it's so ingrained now and mm. it's almost like there's the internal shame within the community. And then there is the shame of what will majority culture think of us um, if we speak up too soon or if we become, you know, if, if we stand out too much. So there's also oh, that. That's, a, that's an interesting comment, uh, speaking up too soon. So yeah. uh, there's a book, I think it's titled uh, Culture Map. Mm -hmm. And the author was describing that in Western culture, uh, people typically wait no more than two seconds before another person feels like they have to speak up to break the silence. Mm -hmm. Well, in Chinese culture, the timing is eight seconds. <laughs> so, so Chinese people are much more comfortable with silence in a conversation without feeling like, oh, they just got to force the conversation and say something. Mm 
and and they can pause and they can reflect and yeah. be deferential and mm-hmm. uh, be much more relaxed in, in their conversation and relationships. That's really interesting. That That's such a subconscious thing, I'm sure. And I wonder if they did kind of a map of Asian Americans in America, how many seconds it would be. Because I feel like it would be very <laughs> confusing uh, to between two and eight seconds. So, yeah, for cool, those of us that are raised in two cultures, we... Um, well, I think some people can opt in or out of uh, the different cultures. So there are some Asians that grow up in America that are very Americanized and have nothing to do with their Asian culture. Yeah. And then there's, there are some that really hold on to their Asian culture and have very little to do with American culture yeah. and everything in between. Mm-hmm. So it's um, what that means is we cannot treat uh, everyone the same. Yeah. whether they're Asian or uh, Latino or African-American or even white. And so um, we, um, we all have to uh, spend a little more time to getting to know people and not give in to the uh, stereotypes that has really, uh, well, it has really become an issue uh, today totally. that we yeah. see that racism is alive and well. Mm-hmm. We yeah. haven't gotten that far from the 60s as yeah. we thought. Yeah, definitely. Oh. Um, yeah, so for you, um, I don't, and you kind of added on to what I was sharing, but I was wondering if you had any more to share about how shame keeps us from being healthy and from growing. Well, I'll share from my own life. Um, in terms of my childhood, I was always, I'm the oldest of three boys. So, uh, being the oldest son, it was the pride of the family, and I was uh, supposed to be more responsible, and I was supposed to be more uh, of the role model. Now, I confess I wasn't a great role model. I don't think I took care of my brothers as well as I could have or should have uh, because I didn't know what to do, and so I didn't do anything. And then uh, what I did for myself was I kept quiet and I was very obedient. So one of the things my parents could probably say is that uh, we we never had to discipline DJ because he was always a good kid. Mm -hmm. And so I was always a good kid. Um, I was not in touch with my emotions. And so in school, I uh, I excelled in math and science and went into engineering when I went to college. Mm -hmm. And in college, in that environment, I started to... Uh, feel the emotional part of me a bit more. And it was really hard to process. Uh, It took me many years after. I mean, I'm still processing part of it, actually. But um, uh, it wasn't well, it wasn't until I was married and into my 30s that I really began to form my emotional understanding Mm -hmm. and that I was able to break away from what was my dominant thought of how I lived my life, which was to be uh, fulfill my responsibility, be obedient and be dutiful. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, in my career choices and the way I went about life, um, the way I went about my hobbies and my school and my work and even my marriage was to try to do the right thing all the time. Mm-hmm. And eventually that led me to an identity crisis. And uh, I, 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 hit, I, I hit my emotional bottom. 
and I had to deal with it. And so it's been a growth process since. And I'm very grateful that I feel healthier than I've ever been yeah. uh, in, in hindsight. And for those of you that are curious, I'm 51 years old now. So it's, it's taken that long to uh, get to a point uh, where, where I feel, uh, well, uh, healthier and healthier each year. So I'm very mm -hmm. grateful for mm -hmm. uh, how that's gone. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I feel like the, uh, you shared kind of as the first child, that pressure of having to take care of everyone, to be obedient and to kind of even succumbing to that pressure. And I think I see that a lot in first children. I'm not a first child, so I can't, mm -hmm. I can only relate to part of it. I'm, I'm the youngest child. So there are different, different things coming up for me, but, um, yeah, you have how many? That. Just two. So I have an older sister. Okay. She was definitely, you know, she definitely, um, was the, 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 the more obedient, less stubborn one of the two of us. Um, <laughs> But I, even though my experience was different because I was the younger one and I was a little bit rebellious and I, you know, and I was a little bit more outspoken. I didn't really fit in with the the community that uh, we were raised in, the Korean community. But um, I I think that it, it still felt like there was shame clouding us because it felt like um, because it always I always felt in the wrong. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but I wasn't I was never even as you describe your experience, like, oh, I was never, well, I was never the obedient child. I was never the good one. I had to be disciplined for sure. But I think it's that feeling, that shame of, oh, okay, something is wrong with me. Mm. And those those um, messages that get thro like thrown into our head over and over again, they can become really toxic. And mm. I think that definitely impacts our mental health. Um, and even as we're, we're talking and, you know, um, so I'm a new mom. And oh, congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and my son is eight months old. And one thing that another mom told me a long time ago, she said, I just want to make sure that people don't think of my child as just good because mm. I want them to be unique and seen not just for being well-behaved, but in their fullness. Now, I, I just, I just keep that with me um, when I'm with my child to think, I don't just want him to feel acceptable when he's good. I want him to feel loved when he's good and when he's bad and when he's acting out and when he has big emotions because I think that's something that, um, you know, across the board, I think Asian American parents, especially first generation or immigrant parents have a hard time doing when they're trying to do so much. They're trying to do so much else for their kids. They're trying to sacrifice so much else that that piece, that attunement piece kind of gets left behind. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's just the immigrant story for us as uh, Asians in America. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the immigrant story is very much one of survival. Mm -hmm. Yes. But in, even in Asian culture in Asia, where it's not just about survival, this part of their humanity doesn't seem to be developed in this particular way. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure what's going on there, but um, this, this aspect of psychology and yeah. emotional health seems to be uh, much more developed in some ways in, in Western culture. Than uh, Eastern culture, so maybe that's something we can explore down the road. Definitely. So uh, you've you've taken study into that world of psychology, and you're really um, committing a big part of your time and energy into finding a solution for this. So yeah. tell us how this uh, conversation about shame can be helpful to people. Yeah. Well, I think that um, kind of the the phraseology I was thinking when when we're we're talking about this is 
how, like we want to erase shame, but we have to replace it with something, right? So mm-hmm. it's erasing and replacing. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we just take out shame, then you know I've seen I've seen people with their backlash to be shameless or to be like overly dependent on people or to be overly vulnerable, almost inappropriately so, because they just don't know what else to do with it. Um, so I think the first step of um, erasing shame is is addressing it and having mm. conversations around it. Um, and it's kind of like mold or, you know, things like that where it grows in the dark. Mm. But when you mm-hmm. open up, open it up to sunlight, it will actually, it'll actually disappear. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's how mold works. But um, Yeah. So I, I, I think that, um, so for me growing up, um, feeling these several layers of shame throughout my life, um, what was really helpful was being a part of an organization college where we talked about emotional health in um, the lens of Asian American culture, in terms of leadership, in terms of faith, and how um, we all had our stories, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Of of pride and of shame and of honor and all these things. And I remember one of the leaders sharing about her experience growing up in a family that was very performance oriented and really pushed them to just behave and to work hard and to get into good schools. And I remember from then all the other students started to share their own experiences, um, ranging from you know the emotional neglect of not being attuned to, to even as intense as, as abuse from their families and wow. physical and verbal mm-hmm. and sexual abuse. And um, what was generally, I think, if they were shared in other communities, um, would be met with judgment or with criticism or with blaming, was met with such empathy and such love that I think that it changed the way that we all saw where we came from, that it wasn't how it identified us. Cause I really do believe that um, the secret that we hold closest to us is the one that we identify with most because mm. it feels so unique to us. It feels just like we're the only ones that is a part of us. And from there, I saw that um, people started thriving in their lives because they were renaming and redefining these early childhood experiences mm. to know that they were loved and they were worthy and they were good enough and it wasn't their fault. Um, so that's essentially, I mean, from that experience, I kind of went on this, this journey of looking for where else I can erase shame so I can help people break from that bondage of shame and of guilt. And, um, since then, I mean, I've, I, I work as a therapist and my biggest thing is to create a space for another person who may not have that community where they're talking about these things and for them to start to unpack and re-experience and relive and hopefully redefine some of these areas of shame where they feel like it's 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 strong um, inside of me and I don't know how to, I don't know where to go and I don't know how to, to get it out. Um, so that's really where I feel like um, we can erase and replace shame. It's with the truth of who we are and how we were created and whatever our belief system and faith background or spiritual background teaches us, I think that um, it's just to be congruent in that is to be, mm. um, you know, your head and your heart match essentially and your actions match. That's what congruency essentially is. And so mm. just to kind of live in that. That's a, that's a new term for me. Oh yeah. <laughs> like a triangle. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't hear that until well into my thirties. Mm. So uh, we'll definitely spend some time unpacking the uh, really rich things that you described about how we can move towards uh, healthy living and erase shame and replace it with uh, good things in our lives. Um, and, and maybe there's something generational that because our parents didn't 
get formed very well. They just passed on what they knew. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, generation after generation, there was um, totally. emotional abuse and harm and neglect of some part, even though they were trying to, even though they did their best mm-hmm. and they had the best intentions, there still could be blind spots that affected us uh, negatively. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I think oftentimes, even in the therapy process, it can be such a hurdle to get to the point of realizing my parents did their best and yet it wasn't enough. And even to say that out loud takes months or Mm -hmm. years of, because it feels so counterintuitive to say my parents didn't do enough. It feels shameful um, for us as Asian Americans to say that. So, but I do think you're right that there is a generational piece there that Mm -hmm. um, we can definitely continue to talk about. Well, uh, uh, I grew up in a small town with my Chinese family. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know what it was like to live in a larger Asian uh, cultural context. Yeah. And so uh, it was very uh, surprising and shocking to me what, what it's like to now live in California when I grew up in this tiny little town in Virginia. Yeah. And uh, one of the things uh, in Asian culture that I just didn't pick up was like when you go visit another uh, Chinese family, you're supposed to bring a gift. Mm-hmm. And I went empty handed a couple of times and it brought. Oh shame in the uh, back talk <laughs> yeah I, as, even as you said that i kind of cringe i'm like oh no like the asian person <laughs> that's a hard thing to do yeah yeah so so in that asian uh, cultural context to to say or to think that your parents didn't do enough for you mm-hmm. uh, somehow that be uh, processed where uh, you do love your parents, you do honor them, they did do their best, mm-hmm. but there's st- still something I'm missing. Yeah. So, so if I can personalize it, that mm-hmm. that that can uh, keep the honor there, but mm-hmm. also help me to move and help the person to move towards health. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, great. This this will be a, a rich conversation. I think it will be life giving, not just for me but I'm uh, hoping that it will be uh, life-giving to our listeners and viewers. And I really want to invite your questions and your comments uh, here on Facebook, as well as on YouTube and on our website that will be built out over the weeks ahead at erasingshame.com. Please subscribe there. For those of you that have a uh, podcast app or... um, like our Facebook page, and then eventually we'll get to a place where you can add a review because this is just a pilot episode. But uh, even if you're uh, really looking forward to this and we want to provide a safe place where you can hear about what goes on into the lives of everyday people uh, like yourself and not feel like uh, you're alone, uh, that there is help and there's hope for living a healthy life. Thank you, Eunice, for being with me on this journey of erasing shame. Yeah, thank you, DJ, for inviting me. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.